I think we need to foster competition and once again regain the mantle of the funnest state and the funnest city in America. You're listening to Comedy Ghost Town, where we investigate why Albuquerque, New Mexico has no designated stand-up comedy club. My name is Sarah Kennedy. in Albuquerque 30 years ago, a man named Gordon House got behind the wheel of his car after consuming seven and a half beers. Driving the wrong way down the interstate, House got into a collision, killing multiple members of a family that was heading home from midnight mass. Because you see, it wasn't just any night. It was Christmas Eve. This is an awful tale that heavily influences New Mexico's relationship with alcohol. In fact, a few weeks after the car accident occurred, the New Mexico legislature passed a slew of bills that tightened up the liquor laws in New Mexico, including decreasing the presumed level of intoxication from 0.1% to 0.08%, increasing a fourth DUI charge from a misdemeanor to a felony, imposing a mandatory DWI education course for new drivers, and requiring additional training for alcohol servers. Those are just a few of many things in place to clamp down on DUIs in the state, which, according to a 2021 report by driver's education resource, Zutobi, New Mexico still ranks seventh floor in the nation. Traditionally, comedy clubs are just as well known for their two-drink minimum policies as they are for jokes. For a lot of people, stand-up comedy is thought of as an opportunity to go out on the town and enjoy a few beers or mixed drinks or wine as part of a night out. When we explore why Albuquerque has gone so long without a comedy club, we have to look into how an owner would have to navigate the web of New Mexico's unique and strict liquor laws. Now is a good time for me to mention that I'm not a lawyer, and if there is a lawyer out there listening who has a better read on the law as we're discussing it in this episode, please reach out because I am just a liquor law hobbyist who has spent a few years digging through all of this to find a loophole that would benefit our comedy scene. If there's something I'm missing or getting really wrong, please let me know. And yes, when I say years, years, pondering why Albuquerque is without a comedy club almost always leads to the question, but how can we serve people drinks? So every few months or so, I go back through the requirements for serving and selling booze to the citizens of this fine city, and I hit the same roadblocks. So, obviously the easiest answer here would be to open a space that doesn't provide any alcoholic drinks at all. This is the strategy in place for Albuquerque's home for improv, the box performance space and improv theater. No drinks are sold for their shows, which, when COVID isn't a factor, happen each Friday and Saturday night. The shows run about an hour, and the audience is free to grab drinks before or after at another nearby location as part of their night out. A casual, non-scientific, and frankly irresponsible journalistically poll that I posted on my own Twitter account asked if people thought that a comedy club run as a sober space without alcohol could survive. And while the no's outweighed the yeses, it wasn't the bloodbath I was thinking it would be. The margin was fairly close. Steve Lucero, a performer and improviser who often performs at the box here in Albuquerque, commented that he did think an alcohol-free stand-up space could survive as long as uh, mozzarella sticks were provided. That is totally a solid option. I also asked comedian Brett Hiker, who you all know as the Nationwide Comedian's Power Hour peddler, from the last episode about this. Do I think a dry comedy space is possible? I would say no. And I always say this, is I've made this joke a lot when the microphone dies out on stage and being like, the microphone's dead. That's the second most important part of comedy. No, first most important part, alcohol. Second most important part, microphone. Third most important part, jokes. 
you can do a show with alcohol and a microphone without jokes easily, <laughs> much more easily than you can do by taking one of the other ones away. <laughs> My research shows that a majority are in agreement with Brett. Also, the box as an improv theater isn't solely reliant on ticket sales and concessions as their only income streams. They can also run a children's program and provide classes, which can also keep the lights on. Two options that comedy clubs tend to not find the same success with. If one was going to pursue a liquor license to serve and sell alcohol in a comedy performance space, we need to be clear about the kind of liquor licenses that are available in New Mexico. According to the New Mexico Government Business Portal website, there are six-ish types. The first is a wholesaler license to sell packaged alcohol. Not the most helpful for a nightlife spot or a comedy club, so we'll skip this one. Unless, of course, someone out there wants to be the first liquor store and comedy club in the nation. You can call it Total Wine, Spirits, and Jokes or something. The second is the more traditional one you may be thinking of, a dispenser license, which allows for the sale of served alcoholic drinks by a licensed bartender. If you remember back to our first episode, these were the ones that are notoriously hard to obtain and expensive. The nightlife in Albuquerque that existed in the 80s and 90s no longer exists. We had less restaurants in New Mexico in March when COVID hit, March of 2020, than March of 2000, 20 years prior. And one of the big reasons, in my opinion, was this was these liquor licenses in which the last two liquor licenses sold for uh, half a million dollars. So to open up a nightclub, to open up a, a really fancy restaurant, you're 400,000, 500,000 in the hole before you even get out of the gate. There's a reason why they had become so expensive. And it was something that comedian Sam Talent pointed out during our talk. There's only so many that exist. They don't make new ones. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so old school. If the license is revoked, it does not become available to someone new. It simply goes away without replacement, and that scarcity hikes up the demand. So much so even that if you can't afford half a million dollars to buy one from an owner, provisions have been put in place so that you'd be able to lease one, which is also not cheap. If you're listening to all of this, and you're like, this sounds like too much to handle to just provide people with a few IPAs and some white claws during jokes, you'll be glad to know that a beer and wine license is also available. Unfortunately, these licenses are only available to restaurants, which the law here defines as a place with a full-service staff and three to four entrees on the menu. So a comedy club owner would need more than mozzarella sticks for this. Luckily, there has been some movement in this realm. During the 2021 legislative session, and in response to the economic hardship restaurants faced because of COVID, a bill was passed that provided the biggest update to our liquor laws in years. I spoke with one of the legislators who helped sponsor the bill, Antonio Momayestas. We have a lot of new legislators uh, in New Mexico. There's a new, a new trajectory, a new forward-thinking way of passing legislation. And so I took this battle on. I told the liquor guys, we're going to have to undo this. And lo and behold, we undid it. And once it got out of House Commerce Committee, it just took on a life of its own and got all the way to the governor's desk. So it was tremendous. It was 40 years in the making. The last attempt at changing the Liquor Control Act of this magnitude was in 1981, where Liquor license holders were given tax credits, but over a 10-year period of economic adjustment, they could no longer sell, lease, or transfer their licenses. That was fought over in court, and the, and the, the court said this tax scheme that you created is unconstitutional. You can't give this person a tax credit and that person for doing the exact same economic activity. So here we are 40 years later, and I think COVID pushed the envelope we, uh, we had to do something for the restaurants. The liquor lobby was losing its mind and we, we got it done. And so we're going to move into the modern world. So now restaurants, which close, no longer need their liquor license. So if you're a restaurant that has a full liquor license, you no longer need it. So you can get the restaurant B license, which we created in statute. Then you put your liquor license on the market to sell or lease. 
So I believe there's going to be three or four dozen licenses on the market this fall for new entertainment venues, new bars and taverns. And I think we need to foster competition and once again, regain the mantle of the funnest state and the funnest city in America. There's definitely hope on the horizon. In next week's episode, we'll dive into the other types of licenses and their potential for creative use by a future comedy club. I'd be lying if I told you I hadn't considered making my own bathtub gin if it would help the jokesters have a home in this town. Is it possible? And if it's not, would anyone be willing to help me get all this gross gin out of my bathroom? We'll find out next week. This has been Comedy Ghost Town, produced and hosted by comedian Sarah Kennedy. If you'd like to find out more information about the podcast or me, you can find out more of it on my website, sarahkennedy.com slash comedyghosttown.